Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. How's that? I've had the privilege to be able to get around to a few churches and, and, and do their morning or evening services. And just a while back, I spoke at a church out in the country, and I reckon it was about at least 10 minutes after the service, a fellow was talking to me for about 10 minutes on why the women in that church ought to be wearing head coverings from 2 Corinthians. Uh, 10 minutes too long for me. I've been in churches where you may ha- who have female pastors on their staff and yet spoke in other churches where a female can't even can't even put a foot on the stage without there being controversy i've been in some churches where they only sing hymns and to sing anything else is sacrilege i've been in some churches where you only use the organ when you have your morning music And the drums will never enter this church. Interestingly, the organ accidentally fell off the back of a truck in that church on the way to being serviced. (laughs) You know, you get around to lots of churches and they're all, we all have our own little quirks in terms of practices and some, some, you know, disagreements in terms of theology. However, all the churches that I've, spoken at or been to are evangelical and we are even though our origins as a church are brethren we fit into the evangelical movement and a lot of people when you say to them uh, you know if you're applying for a job and this is a Christian organization you say are you evangelical they will say yes but in their mind they're just thinking we talk to people about Jesus we are evangelists but that's not what evangelical actually means. Evangelical means we hold to a certain number of biblical teachings and we hold to our certain practices as well. And those teachings we hold to, those doctrines for evangelical, there are a few that are non-negotiable. We may differ in lots of other things, but there are some central doctrines that we hold on to and we will fight to the death to keep those doctrines as part of our church's faith and practice. And the question I'm looking at today is one of those doctrines. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Evangelical comes from the word evangel, which in Greek essentially means gospel. So as evangelicals, what is central to what we believe and practice is the gospel of Jesus Christ, or the good news. And there are two historical facts that make up the good news. Jesus died and he rose again. Those to me, unless I become another version of Christianity, those to me are two non-negotiable things. As a Christian, I want to be known 
and I want to be part of a church that is known for its hold on the good news or gospel. And the resurrection is, you know, the second, I guess, pillar of what it means to be an evangelical. And the resurrection really is one of the key teachings of the Christian faith, together with what we would argue would be the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Those two things form the gospel. Things like knowing Jesus, being forgiven, experiencing God's peace, all those things are not the gospel. They are a fruit or a consequence of the gospel. The gospel is central and the gospel calls for us to trust in that message by faith. So because the resurrection is so fundamentally foundational to Christian teaching, throughout church history, people have sought to disprove a literal resurrection or a physical resurrection. Now they do this because they know if they can pull down our doctrine or understanding of a physical resurrection, then everything else collapses. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if there's no physical resurrection of Jesus, then the apostolic preaching of the early church was in vain. He says the Christian faith is in vain. The witness of the early church is false. Christians are still in their sin. There is no hope for those who have already died. And in verse 19, he says, there is only hope for this life. No hope for a believer beyond the grave. And so in Paul's mind, if there is no resurrection, then the basic philosophy of life should be hedonism, pleasure-seeking. That's why he says in 1532 of 1 Corinthians, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Literally saying, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if we don't rise from the dead, then you might as well party and seek all the pleasure you can, because this is it. This is it. And so, in order to prove Christianity false, or even worse, people have attacked the resurrection and tried to disprove it. Now, before I go into these different theories, I just want to ask the question, did anybody actually see the resurrection of Jesus? So the resurrection proper, did anybody see it? I'll have a drink while you have a think. And the answer to that question is no. Nobody saw the resurrection proper. It occurred in the secrecy of a sealed tomb. But what we have are a number of historical details that need to be considered, and we as Christians need to remember when people challenge the doctrine of the resurrection. From the primary sources, which are the gospel themselves, we have these things. Jesus' death by crucifixion. Jesus died. Now you might think, oh, well, that's obvious, but there are people out there who challenge this. 
But we know that the Roman guards didn't find it necessary to break Jesus' legs. We know this in John's Gospel. So if you were crucified and you took too long to die, because you would have to actually pull yourself up on the nails in order to, to breathe, so most people suffocated. If it took too long, the Roman soldiers had a wooden bat, and they would break your legs so that you could not push yourself up and it would speed up the process of dying. We know when they looked at Jesus, they didn't have to break his legs because he was dead. The separation of water from blood was evidence when Jesus got the spear in the side that Jesus had died. And the Jewish burial procedures um, guarantees that Jesus was dead. So we know from the primary sources of evidence, Jesus died. We know also the despair of the disciples indicated that their leader was dead. We know that Jesus appeared to a number of folk following his death. So there are claims that individuals up to large groups of people saw him post his crucifixion. We know that the disciples were transformed from sorrowful to empowered, which indicated that something changed, something incredible occurred to transform the, the early disciples. We know in Saul's conversion or Paul's conversion, a Jewish uh, person, a Christian persecutor, is an indication of the transforming power of the resurrection. Now, these details from the primary sources, along with other information from non-biblical sources, have been used to counter these alternative theories throughout Christian history. So let's look at some of these theories. Now, the first uh, theory to attempt to disregard, and the earliest we know is the fifth theory. Um, this theory basically says it's the most ancient, being put forward by the Jews in the New Testament. It's the idea that somebody stole Jesus' body and then later claimed that he was raised. So the disciples actually came and swiftly, you know, let's get rid of his body and then let's tell everybody that he is raised from the dead. Now, the fact that disciples would later give their life for such a hoax that they perpetrated, and the fact that it would have been impossible to get past the Roman guards who were guarding the tomb, these are professional top soldiers, the Praetorian Guard, uh, makes this theory unsustainable. The Praetorian Guard, if you failed in your duty, you were executed. So how could a bunch of disciples get past professional soldiers and uh, steal the body of Jesus. But that was one theory that was put forward. The next is a survival theory. This one is laughable. This theory states that Jesus never actually died. He lapsed into a low level of physical activity on the cross. He appeared to be dead, but he really wasn't. And I quote, after a short rest in the tomb, he regained his strength and appeared alive. Now, the historical evidence for the death of Jesus, I said, makes that theory laughable. 
the next one is the wrong tomb theory. Now, this theory states that when the women who uh, were returning to the tomb got mixed up and they went to the wrong tomb. And the tomb they went to was empty. And then, so they took that as Jesus had risen again and went and told everybody. But the fact is they just got mixed up, got their directions wrong and went to the wrong tomb. Raced off with the news that he has risen. Now these, I know what you're thinking. Some of you are thinking, how can people hold to these theories? These are legitimate theories that have been used to disprove the resurrection. Because I think people will grasp whatever they can to disprove it. Because if they can, as I said before, Christianity implodes. Without even mentioning the resurrection appearances, if this had happened, that they went to the wrong tomb, then all the speculation around the resurrection could have been solved by the, the Romans or the Jews simply going to the right one and pulling Jesus' body out and saying, here it is. And Christianity would have ended at that point. More recent theories are the hallucination theory and the theory that the resurrection is a myth or legend. So firstly, the hallucination theory. Now this theory doesn't attempt to deal with the empty tomb, but rather with the resurrection appearances. And this theory holds to that the disciples in their disappointment and unfulfilled hopes had visions of Jesus, but they didn't actually see him. In their desperation and disappointment, they had visions, hallucinations. This is not new. It is, oh, I don't know, I'm not a, a science person, of the, you know, but apparently this can happen when people are in that state of mind. They have visions of Jesus, and this is what they saw. Now, that would be okay if the resurrection appearances occurred to one person at a time. Then you could probably possibly argue for that. But Paul actually says Jesus appeared to more than 500 at one time. Now, hallucinations are individual subjective visions. So you'd have to say, how can 500 people have the same hallucination? And that's why I think it's important where Jesus outlines in 1 Corinthians 15, when he says the importance of the gospel, he goes through and says he's, he revealed himself to individuals, to small groups, and to large groups. And this theory, this hallucination theory, just doesn't work when it's more than one person. The other question is, not all those who converted to Christianity were in that state of disappointment. Paul wasn't. It was actually the complete opposite. He was persecuting the church and persecuting Christians. He was not just disposed to have such an hallucination. So how do you explain his vision on the Damascus, Damascus Road? 
of Jesus Christ. So the hallucination theory, I, does, I don't think makes sense of the primary source evidence that we have. The next one is called the resurrection uh, as a myth or a legend. And this is probably uh, one that a lot of people today would believe in or would accept this theory. So there are actually many Christian scholars and theologians who believe that the idea of Jesus' resurrection should be seen as mythological or as a legend and it developed into an historical event. So they basically hold that the resurrection accounts in the New Testament developed over time and it could have been influenced from other religions. Uh, they suggest that the story of Jesus' resurrection was shaped by the beliefs and expectations of the early church. And so there's been a, um, an, an addition, I guess, put back into the Gospels regarding Jesus' resurrection. And that they, uh, the resurrection itself is to be understood as legendary, not literal. And you may have even heard around Easter time, sometimes we have even people like a, you know, a bishop who might even talk about the resurrection as a spiritual thing. It's not a literal thing. It's something more spiritual for us to learn from. Now, response to that is, if you've studied ancient history, you'll see that myths and legends take time to develop. In fact, they take an extraordinary amount of time to develop. And the early church, we know, had written accounts of Jesus' life, death and resurrection, particularly in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, very early within one generation of the life of Jesus. And so as an historian person, you'd be saying there's not enough time for the legend theory or the myth theory to actually develop. The first primary source was written 40, 50 AD. And they argue for a literal resurrection. And turning it into a myth or saying that it's legend is actually imposing upon the primary sources, a duration of time which just did not happen. There's also, one would argue, a lack of motivation for the legend. There's no compelling reason for Christians, early Christians to invent the story of the resurrection, especially considering that, that the idea of a bodily resurrection was counter to many prevailing religious beliefs at the time. So why you know, why argue for a resurrection if it didn't actually happen? And the other, I guess, response to this theory is the transformation of early believers, which I've spoken about. The profound transformation of the disciples and the early followers suggest that something extraordinary must have occurred to account for that change from fear and disillusionment to the proclamation of the gospel throughout the world. Those are the responses to the challenge of myth and theory. The other one which I won't go into today is the idea of miracles. So for the resurrection to happen, there must have been a miraculous event and some, the, the idea of do, can miracles happen and have they happened, I thought is probably another topic uh, rather than mention it as part of today's message. 
But from those theories, you can see that there are, there are reasonable counter-arguments to all of those theories. And I think the conclusion is that we as Christians, particularly evangelical Christians, shouldn't be ashamed of accepting a physical resurrection as the best explanation of describing the events that the New Testament actually relays to us. Why? Because the result of a physical resurrection means everything. It changes everything. Jesus rose from the dead, which was indeed a miraculous event. His resurrection validates his claim to be divine. It authenticates his message about himself as the Son of God. The consequences of the resurrection are incomparable. It is a concrete, factual, empirical evidence that life does have hope and meaning. We are not just cosmic orphans. We are not just the result of some, you know, long process of random chance or accidental events. There is a creator behind everything. And it shows us most of all that death is not the end. Death is not the end. And there is hope that we can enjoy now in our relationship with God and even a greater hope in the future because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we, we humbly offer our heartfelt thanks for the profound gift of resurrection. Through the risen Christ, we find everlasting life and relationship with you that we enjoy in the present and only gets better in the future. I pray, Lord, that we would live each day in the light of this wondrous truth. 